Homeschool.com, America's leading source for homeschooling information, recorded this live interview as part of our free homeschooling teleconference series. If you would like to receive the schedule for upcoming teleconferences, please send an email to advisor at homeschool.com. So welcome everyone to day number one in Homeschool.com's first ever winter teleconference. As you know, we host a summer teleconference every summer where we have 32 uh, authors and homeschooling experts back-to-back. So we're taking a little easier on all of us for this winter, but I'm hoping that this will give you a, a midwinter shot in the arm, a little motivation to keep going on your homeschooling adventure. Our first guest this morning is Dan Pointer. Dan is affectionately known as the self-publishing guru. If you are a person who wants to write a book and publish it yourself, uh, Dan, you would, you'll find out about his name probably the same day you decide to self-publish. He is the author of more than 100 books and has been a publisher since 1969 and is a certified uh, speaking professional. He's an evangelist for books, an ombudsman for authors, and an advocate for publishers, and the godfather to thousands of successfully published books. His uh, seminars have been featured on CNN. His books have been pictured in the Wall Street Journal, and his story has been told in U.S. News and World Report. Uh, we invited Dan here today because there are many homeschoolers um, who have you have a book inside you, and Dan is the person who can help you um, make that book a reality for yourself and also for any children and teens that you have because the advantage of homeschooling, of course, is that we have that that time that we can focus on a, a really important project like this that makes such a difference. Uh, later on in the week, we're going to be interviewing uh, Paolini, Christopher Paolini, who is the homeschool mm-hmm. teen who wrote uh, Aragon and Eldest. And, of course, I mean, that wouldn't have been possible if, if it were not for the help of people like Dan Pointer uh, teaching you how to do this. So uh, good morning, Dan. Thank you so much for being here. Good morning, Rebecca. I'm looking forward to this. Well, that's excellent. So I'm going to go into the mute mode now here for us, Dan. Yes. Oh, there we go. I'm back. Okay. <laughs> well, Dan, please tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I've been a publisher for a long time, and uh, let me put it this way. I worked for a number of years on a very technical book on parachutes, and I realized that no publisher would be interested in such a book because they wouldn't know where to sell it. But I knew who would buy the book. It was people in the parachute industry, parachute designers, parachute manufacturers, uh, and other people who deal with the designing and building of parachutes. And so I decided, why not publish it myself? Now, this was a long time ago. This was in the very early 70s. And there weren't very many publishers out there then. 
there wasn't any information then. There weren't any support groups like uh, the Publishers Marketing Association. <coughs> and so I sort of had to do it myself. And a year later, I got interested in a new sport. It was a sport of hang gliding. And being oriented, I looked for a book on the subject, and I couldn't find one. And I knew what to do about that because somebody should be moving out yes. there. Thank you, Kevin. The phone is not letting me go into conference mode right now, and I've called the operator to ask for their help. But everyone, if you would, please uh, put the mute on your phone or press star six. Thank you. That'll keep the line nice and quiet. So in 1973, I got interested in this new sport of hang gliding, and being book-oriented, I looked for a book. I went to the bookstore, and I couldn't find one. Darn it. It's someone who has a child right near them. They don't realize that we can hear them. Keep going the best you can, um, okay. Dan, and we'll take care of this right away. All right. Um, <laughs> okay. Being book-oriented, I looked for a book on the subject, and I couldn't find one, but because I was a pilot and a skydiver, I knew what to do about that. I knew where to get the information, and it took me four and a half months to come out with the first book on hang gliding. And that book took off, like we say in aviation, like a homesick angel. I mean, we sold them everywhere. In fact, I made so much money so quickly on that book, it allowed me to move back to California and buy this house in Santa Barbara. Now, I won't tell you that every book you write is going to allow you to buy a house in Santa Barbara. However, I've never lost money on a book, and I've printed or excuse me, published more than 120 of them so far. One book led to another, and publishers began coming to me saying, Dan, how is it that you're selling so many books? Um, and I said, because I'm dealing directly with the user groups. I know who my buyers are. They're, they're people just like me. And uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm a little trouble with the background noise. I know, sorry. Come on in just a minute. Yeah, I'm just not used to it. I know I know that you can tune it, those people, uh, tune out the little kids, but I can't do it. Okay. But publishers kept asking me why they were not selling as many books as I was. And it was very simple to me. They were trying to sell their books in bookstores. And while my books were in bookstores, I was selling directly to the user groups, to the catalogs, the schools, the associations, and the, the parachute centers, and so on. And so many people asked so often that I wrote the book, The Self-Publishing Manual. It came out in 1979. And now, what are we, 27 years later, uh, that book is now in the 14th revised edition. Yes, congratulations. It is the book on self-publishing, the self-publishing manual. So, um, so that that's the capsule. That's how I got to uh, be here today. And uh, consequently, uh, I have an extensive website. I send out a newsletter every two weeks. It's about 20 pages long, full of tips and resources. I travel all over talking about writing and publishing. I fly more than 4,000 miles every week. I'm hardly ever home, and I've been doing uh, teleconferences like this one at the rate of one to two a week for the last year. Uh, I'm doing everything I can to get the word out because I don't want people to die with the book still inside them. In fact, that's the title of this interview, Dan. I mean, is there a book in you? How do you know if there's a book in you? Well, according to the Gallup polling organization, 81, 81 or 82% of the population has a book inside them. I would guess that probably 20% of the population is working on a book right now. When someone's being interviewed on television, watch closely. Either before or after the interview, 
up comes the book. Now, these people could be celebrities or they could be unknowns, but they are experts on that subject that they're writing about. And because they're experts and because they have new information, that's why they're the subject of the interview. Um, the um, Let's see, last year, 195,000 titles were published. That's more than 500 books coming out every day. One-third of all the books in the world are sold in the United States. 47% are sold in the U.S., Canada, and the U.K. The Canadians, per capita, read more than we do, probably because winter's longer. And the Brits, per capita, publish more books than we do. So it's our British heritage that uh, made us into a reading society and a writing society. Many, many people have a book inside them. What is the difference, Dan, between an author and a writer? <laughs> you don't really think that Lee Iacocca wrote those two bestsellers by himself, do you? Lee uh, Iacocca is the author of two best-selling books. It just so happens he didn't write those books. He had help. Now, I'm not sure. He had two different ghostwriters, and I don't know the particular stories. I suspect they got a lot of information from transcript of his speeches. And they could take his material and put it into book form. Then he would have to go over the manuscript to make it still, make sure it's still him and that all the information is correct. But you don't have to be a writer to be an author. Most celebrity books are not written by the celebrities. Quite often you could tell. Uh, but, uh, and I also want to emphasize, Rebecca, that we all get help on our books. Some uh, books need more help than others. Some need light editing, some need very heavy editing, and some need complete rewriting. But it's not necessary to be the writer, to be the author. You can get your message out to the public if you get help. So, Dan, you don't think it's cheating to have a ghost writer help you with your book? I don't think it's cheating at all because it's still you. It's still your information. They've got to get the information from you. Now, yes, it would be cheating if you say, hey, I need a book on um, skydiving. Go write me a book on skydiving. Uh, no, that would be cheating. Uh, it wouldn't be right to put your name on that. But if a person came to you and interviewed you on this particular subject, uh, maybe collected the magazine articles that you'd written or transcript of your speeches or uh, otherwise got information from you um, if you, you know, piled up all your research materials for them. And then once the book was written, if you went over the uh, the draft to make sure it was still right, it's still uh, good information and it's still your core belief, uh, no, I don't think that's cheating at all. Do you need a Ph.D. or an advanced degree to author a book? Well, it's always nice to um, have that kind of uh expertise, that credibility, but the most important thing is to write from experience. Now, I wrote my first parachute books after I started skydiving. I wrote my hang gliding book after I started hang gliding. I wrote my word processing book after I'd had a word processing machine for a, a good period of time. That was back in 1980. And uh, most good books today are written by people who have been through uh, some kind of scenario. Uh, sometimes it's a, you know, terrible disease or something. But these are people who are very, very interested in the subject, and they want to study it, and they put, they want to put all that information on paper to help the next people coming along. 
I wrote a book for Time Warner several years ago, and it was one of the neatest experiences I've ever had. And it was also such a good role model for my children because now they all want to write books. Excellent. Excellent. And I thought it was going to take away time from our family, and it really ended up benefiting us. And they were they were so supportive of it. It was really a terrific experience. I would recommend it to anyone. And let me ask you this, Rebecca. Did you find that people treated you any differently once you uh, published a book? Uh, no, no, I really didn't. I noticed it was a good confidence booster for me, and my um, husband would tease me every once in a while and say, oh, my wife's an author. Uh-huh. But um, no, I, I thought it might uh, change my world, but it, it really didn't. Is that your experience? Does it normally change someone's world? Well, for most people, because writing a book is a very solitary thing. And once you're published, you then become public. Now, hey, we have introverts and we have extroverts. 25% of the population is composed of introverts. Most writers are introverts. Most writers would rather stay home and write. They really don't want to get out. And uh, they, they feel a little uncomfortable uh, because of all the publicity that the book brings to them. And so most of the people I talk to are introverted writers like me. Ah, that's true. And then, of course, in order to sell you bur- your book, you really have to become an extrovert, don't you? Well, uh, that's because it doesn't matter if you sell out to a publisher as you did or publish yourself. The author has to do the promotion. Publishers don't promote books. So it's not necessary to go on radio and TV, do teleconferences and do autographings in bookstores but it really helps. And so what I try to help writers with is to show them alternative ways to promote their books so that they don't have to leave the house. Now, last the last book I wrote, I wrote it with a big publisher like Time Warner, but uh, the next one is going to be self-published. And for just the reasons you were talking about, I mean, you make a lot more money when you're uh, self-published. Well, you'll make more money. You'll get to press a lot sooner, and you'll keep control of the work. They won't leave out your pictures or something or print your book on crummy pulp paper, um, you'll make a lot more money yourself. And um, as I said, you'll get to press sooner because it takes them 18 months to take your manuscript and turn it into a product and get it on the shelf. Oh, it took a very long time. I had um, 12 week, weeks to write 12 chapters, but then they had um, nine months right. to put it together. And you know, in some subjects, your information can go out of date in that time. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, that's really tragic. Most of the books in the bookstore that come from the large New York publishers were written two years ago. You talk about the new book model, and in that model, you start out where you're self-publishing, you prove your success, and then you go and get the advance check from a big publisher. Exactly. You see, most people send a proposal or query letter or manuscript off to a New York publisher, and, you know, they get more than 200 packages a day. They don't even open them. They stamp them, return to sender. You just got rejected without getting read. No, the way to do it is to go ahead and publish yourself, run 500 copies or so, and then send three or four copies off to selected agents and three or four off to selected publishers. And the publishers and the agents you want to deal with are the ones who have a track record with your kind of book. You know, people often come to me and they say, you know any good agents? The best agent for you is the one who knows what you're talking about. And so if you're writing a cookbook, you don't send it to an agent who's just sold a bunch of travel books. He or she doesn't understand what you're talking about, really doesn't want to talk to you. We wouldn't know where to sell it anyway. Plus, I suppose with a publisher, they're going to worry with any new writer, are you going to be able to deliver the work? And this way, the book is already done. You're not a first-time author anymore. You're a published author. That's correct. And not only that, but if you send a book off to the publisher, they'll treat you like an author. If you send a manuscript proposal or a query letter, they'll treat you like a writer. 
there's a big difference there. So why should someone write a book? Well, um, people write books for a number of reasons. You know, fame, fortune, um, new profit center for credibility. There are many people in business who write a book because it becomes their new business card. It makes them stand out from the next person. Uh, if a meeting planner is going to hire a professional speaker and one of them has written a book, uh, he or she will probably take the speaker who's written the book because that person is obviously some kind of an expert on that subject. The expert, it's almost by definition the person who wrote the book is the expert. Um, so uh, I would say that most people are doing it either for credibility um, and a new profit center. Now, when you're talking about um, profit, of course, we, we hear about uh, Christopher Paolini or some of the huge best-selling books, and they really are, um, are getting wealthy um, off of their, their writing, off of their book. But for most people, you mentioned that a book is really more like a business card. It's uh, creating credibility. I mean, is, is writing a book a good way to make money? Well, uh, I have never lost money on a book. Uh, some books make a lot more money than others, but um, I wouldn't go into it just for the money. And if there's any failing, it's when people don't follow through and do the promotion. They don't let people know that they have books, that there's a pile of books in their garage. Um, the best reason to write a book is for the credibility, for the fame that it brings you. Do you uh, see any big differences between writing a fiction or a nonfiction book? Well, fiction is entertainment, and because it's entertainment, it has to compete for people's time with all other forms of entertainment. It has to compete with other books. It has to compete with going to the movies. It has to compete with taking your kids to the zoo. Nonfiction, on the other hand, is valuable information that people buy to save time or money. People buy nonfiction for two particular reasons. One is to solve a problem, and the second reason is to learn something. So... That nonfiction book doesn't compete with any other book or any other activity. People are willing to pay you 20 or $30 to get the short course in whatever the subject matter is. And so consequently, nonfiction is much easier to sell than fiction. And this is why we normally tell people to work on the nonfiction first and to not work on their fiction until they can afford it. Uh, Dan, I want to make sure that everybody is in the proper passcode for this call because our mute function should be working now. I hear somebody typing in the background. Uh, audience, would you please make sure that when you came in that you used the moderator code, I mean, that you used the code 62359. If you use a different code, that could be the problem. You should be using 62359. The person who's typing, um, we can hear the clicking of the keyboard. Yeah, and there's, I hear people talking there in the background. I don't know if perhaps it's the recording crew. Maybe we're picking up their background noise, but I'll make sure. You're the first call for the teleconference, Dan, so you're our guinea pig working up okay. all the kinks. So thank you very much for your patience on this. You know, with homeschoolers, um, I have a 15-year-old son. And he has been writing a book. He's written about uh, 17 chapters so far of a fantasy book. And I really want to see him uh, finish that book and have it published because I feel like it's such a great addition to his uh, portfolio. Do you have experience with um, with teens? I'm thinking that there are probably a lot of homeschool teens out there. I know we have a, a writer support group at homeschool.com where there are teens who are writing books. Do you have uh, 
experience with Out of House, successful they are, or any special tips for teens who want to write their own book? Yes, I, I, because I feel very strong. We, we certainly want to encourage them to, to write and to publish. And uh, <coughs> there are probably five different ways that you can get that book published. And I outline them in the free information kit on my website at parapublishing. Well, would you give us the address of that? Because I noticed you have a lot of excellent free information on your site. Okay. Well, the short one is Parapub. Think Parachutes and Publishing. Parapub.com. P-A-R-A-P-U-B.com. And then it's, if you go down the left-hand side, it says Free Info Kit. And there's one on writing, one on publishing, and one on promoting. And for this uh, teenager, uh, he wants to look at the one on publishing, the center one. And that outlines the... Uh, five different ways. Now, in this particular case, I think that you want to follow the new book model. Um, that means publishing a very small number of them and then passing those around, and then that gives you an opportunity to go back and make corrections and, and, and clean things up a little bit. How and, expensive is it, Dan, um, to publish you know, 200 copies of your own book? Though, well, it depends on the size and shape of the book. But let's say it's 144 pages and measuring five and a half, eight and a half. Uh, if you were going to do 200 copies, those would probably come in around $3.50 each. Now, on the other hand, your first time out, there are some other ways to publish that book that would cost, well, virtually nothing. And I would just suggest that your um, your son take a look at lulu.com. That's L-U-L-U.com. As far as I understand their situation, uh, it costs little or nothing to uh, to publish books there. Why is that? Uh, I don't know. Oh. Could you <laughs> just take a look? <laughs> I'd take a look at that. Lulu.com mm-hmm. for anyone who has a teen who wants to finish the book and publish it. Yeah, now those books are done on a print-on-demand basis. I think it costs uh, nothing to get set up, and then um, it may cost you something for each book that you have produced. Okay, that's a great idea too, because you can um, increase it as you go. Mm-hmm. Now, I, uh, some of us have heard the word vanity publishing and self-publishing. What is the difference between the two? Okay, Rebecca, anybody can be a publisher. The publisher, by definition, is the person who puts up the money. Now, that could be a big company in New York, or it could be you. The person who puts up the money is the publisher. Now, there have been historically some companies that we classify as vanity publishers, publishing companies that charged you a great deal of money and produced really crummy books and wound up selling very little books, very few books and they didn't uh, have access to bookstores, reviewers wouldn't touch their books, and so on. Uh, we still have some of these vanity publishers today. But what we're seeing now is a great revolution of self-publishing. Let me give you some numbers. There are six large publishers in New York. There are probably three to 400 medium-sized publishers in the United States, and there are 81,000 self-publishers. So I think we're in the majority. And the self-publishers put out 78% of all the titles. The big publishers in New York are only doing 22%. Really? So it's quite surprising when you look at the numbers. And by the way, I have a section on statistics on my website as well, page after page of these numbers. Now, 
more and more people are waking up and thinking, well, why should I deal with a publisher? I want to make more money. I want to get to press sooner. I want to keep control of my work. I'm already in one business or another. This is just another product. All I have to do is deal with a typesetter, deal with a um, an editor, uh, deal with a printer, and take delivery of the books and sell the books to my friends. It sounds like there are a lot of advantages to that. Of course, I suppose the disadvantage is that you have to come up with cash up front. Right, but if you uh, ease into it, according to my new book model, it's not very much cash up front. Tell us again uh, where we can go to find information about the new book model, Dan. What was that address? It was parapub.com? That's right, P-A-R-A-P-U-B.com. It's quite an expensive way. I'm sorry, quite Oh, thank you, yes. And we talked about how important it is to uh, promote your books. Now, of course, if you're just buying it for your family and friends, uh, that's one aspect of it. But if you want to uh, promote your book to the outside world, how do you do that? Well, when you get into the business, you make a deal with the distributor. The distributor has sales reps that take your books out to bookstores and bring the orders back. So that gives you access to the bookstores. Anybody can get their books up at Amazon.com. As a matter of fact, if you don't contact Amazon and tell them you have a book, sooner or later they're going to find you. They want to carry everything because when you think about it, they have infinite shelf space there. And Amazon currently is selling uh, 11% of all the books. That's a pretty major bookstore. And their storefront is open to the entire world 24 hours a day. And they don't care whether you came from a New York publisher or whether you self-published? No, not at all. They want to carry everything. You don't think it's more prestigious to go with a a big publisher? (laughs) Have you ever heard anybody say, Random House, I love their books, I buy all of them? No, in fact, when I buy a book, I don't, I don't know, and I don't care who published it. I'm Nobody ever the author and the checks content. to see who the publisher is. People want to know, is this the material that I need? Who is this author? Is she a credible person? Nobody ever asks who the publisher is. How important is the cover of your book, Dan? Absolutely important. The cover is the packaging. You uh, Please deal with a cover artist who's going to make a nice wrapper for your book. The outside has to sell the inside. If people don't get it on the outside, they'll never find out what you have on the inside. You want a a bright, sparkly cover that will get their attention and get them to pick up that book and turn it over. The back cover of your book is where you sell it. You have an arresting headline, a description of the book. You have your promises. You will discover bullet benefit, bullet benefit, bullet benefit. You have three testimonials, a little something about the author, author, closing copy, barcode, and price. There is a system to this back cover. And people in the book industry will pick up your book, look at that back cover, and it takes <coughs> 15 seconds to get a complete picture of it. Um, I can't emphasize enough how important it is to work on your back cover. And I even have a free document on my website that gives you a paint-by-the-numbers, fill-in-the-blanks, back cover layout so all you have to do is recreate it on the screen of your computer and then fill it in with all your benefits and promises i thought your book the self-publishing manual was also excellent because it really is a recipe it takes you exactly from every step from the beginning to the end well that's because that's what i do Uh, i've been a publisher since 1969 i know what everybody's thinking whether they're writing publishing or promoting i know what their problems are and uh I, and I know the answers, too. And so that's uh, I'm writing from experience. 
Don, uh, Dan, let's talk a little bit about e-books. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you know, what about e-books? Well, first of all, let me caution you and say that e-books are not for everybody. If, for example, uh, you stay at home all the time, paper books are fine. If you spend a lot of time behind the wheel because you're a sales rep, a long-haul trucker, or a commuter, well, you can't read books, but you could listen to audio books. I, on the other hand, travel a lot. I have two bags. I do not check them. I fly 4,000 miles a week. I joke that I have a home in Santa Barbara, but I live on United. <laughs> and I read a lot of e-books. I don't have room to carry paper books uh, in my luggage because I have just the two maximum size bags. Uh, what do you do I, with your e-book? Do you um, download it and print it out and you're reading printed pages? Oh, no, or are you no, reading I, it from I, your I, laptop? I read them on my pocket PC. Ah. Um, my pocket PC, it's it's size of a cell phone and uh, sits on my belt, and uh, I can carry thousands upon thousands of books in it. It's backlighted, so I can read it in a taxi at 4, four or 5 o'clock in the morning. It... Um, it, no, when you get to the end of the page, you push the button, it goes to the next page. It always remembers what page you were on. You can highlight, you can underline, uh, you can copy and paste. I mean, it's just a fantastic thing. Oh, and the e-books are less expensive. Most of the e-books are going for, oh, 4 to $12. Even the most expensive bestsellers are only around $12. and Well, most of them are down in the 5 to $6 range. Typically, I go into Amazon, and I'll buy 60 to $80 worth of e-books, download them into my desktop computer, and then I just drag and drop them over to the uh, uh, e-book reader, the pocket PC, which is sitting in a cradle next to the PC. It, uh, can you, when you publish, um, do you routinely uh, publish as an e-book and a print book at the same time? Yes, and I'm glad you asked that, because if you do not make your book available as an audio book, as an e-book, as a large print book, as, a, as in addition to the regular print book, then some people aren't going to be able to consume your information. You're going to leave some people out. Okay. If you go into Amazon, you'll see that my books are available in many different uh, sizes and flavors. So when you do your book, do it as an audio, as an e-book, and as a regular print book. Right, and the print book has to come first because you get more credibility for that. Now, once the print book is done, you have a script for your audio. It's almost done. You have a file for your e-book. It's almost done. So you do the print book first, and then you come out with the audio book and the large printed book. <laughs> that person with the baby, um, congratulations on the baby, by the way. Would you uh, mute out your phone or press star six, please? Ah, uh, thank you so ah, much. It worked. Yeah. So I, I'm thinking that maybe some people must have the moderator passcode, not just the participant. So I'll check on that, Dan. Okay. So, so when you do an audio book, all you do is you read it and make a CD of your reading of your book? Well, you can do it yourself or you can get a voice talent. Uh, I don't particularly like to do it. So in one case, I went out to the local college and found a graduating senior in communications. And uh, she worked kind of like an intern. And I gave her a dozen copies of the completed album in addition to paying her a small amount. I mean, she was absolutely thrilled. It was a great learning experience for somebody in communications. Uh, recently, I went to a friend who's a voice talent to record the book. I know for myself, I really like hearing the author's voice because I've connected with them and I've seen their picture. And sometimes, like with Kiyosaki's audiobooks, I'm disappointed that somebody else is reading it. Well, that's why, uh, okay, I don't like to do 
uh, long recordings. That's just me. I don't think I'm particularly good at it. So what I do, though, is I come in at the beginning and I introduce the reader. Uh, I may break in from time to time. We might discuss a point or a page. And I do the turnover instructions and the, the copyright instructions and things at the end. So they get a little bit of my voice, and they're probably thankful that I have a professional to read the book. <laughs> well, Dan, do you mind if we open up the call and take some questions? Sounds good to me. So, callers, uh, everyone, please make sure that you have pressed the mute button on your phone or you've pressed star six. I know when you press star six, it's hard to tell whether you are in mute mode or whether you are not. So I'll let you know. And then come out, ask your question, and then I'm going to go back into conference mode and repeat the question so that we can get a good recording. Here we go. Thank you. Question number one, please, for Dan Pointer, self-publishing guru. Takes, I, there's a lot of people on the call. I know it a minute, takes a minute to come down. If you're asking a question, we can't quite hear you yet. So the type of questions uh, while you're probably thinking of us, uh, um, what ideas for a book do you have? You know, why are you listening to this call? Have you been thinking about self-publishing yourself? Are you interested in it for your children? Now everybody's afraid to talk, Dan. No, I have a question. Thank you. Uh, this is Elizabeth Donati in Santa Barbara. Oh. So I actually live in Santa Barbara. I don't wow. live on United. So. <laughs> <laughs> so one of us is enjoying it. Um, I am, Dan, I'm running a nonprofit called The Money Camp, and I do financial literacy programs for kids and adults here, and I've just started a book based on a bunch of questions that I asked our database. And I figure if you're going to write a book, at least write it about what they want to hear. And, Perfect. Um, one of the, somebody I ran into a few weeks ago said, you know, before you do anything, don't write the book, write the book proposal. But what I'm hearing you say is just write the book. Well, uh you could write the book proposal if you were going to uh, look for an agent or go after a publisher. No, my suggestion is before you write the book, you write your back cover sales copy. Okay. You see, years ago, we used to say write your ad before you write the book. Then I realized the most important ad you'll ever write is your back cover. By writing your back cover sales copy, you will focus on who you're talking to and you'll decide on what you're going to uh, convey to them. Okay. Now, uh, the you are told to write your proposal before you write the book. That just slows the whole thing down. Well, that's what that's what I thought. You're going to send that proposal off and wait by your phone for the rest of your life. The most important thing to you is to get the book out. The most important thing to your reader is to consume your information. You need to get that book into print. And so what you do is you write the book, you publish a small quantity, <coughs> Send a few books off to agents and publishers. If they get back to you, they entertain the offer. If they don't get back, it doesn't matter because you're out there serving your customers. Your book is out, and it's earning money for you. What's the best way to pick a cover? I mean, to pick a title. Pick a title. As you work on your back cover copy, your title will probably appear to you. Now, you're going to have a title and a subtitle. Your title should be three to five words and should usually start with the key word. Uh, for example, uh, all my parachute books, all my skydiving books, they all start with the word parachute or parachuting. Okay. Try to start with the key word if you can. Okay. The subtitle should be longer and more explanatory, and together the title and subtitle should tell a complete story. Test your title and subtitle out on your friends. 
if somebody says, uh, what's it about? <laughs> and your title and subtitle aren't doing their job, they need sense. more work. Okay. Thank you. Somebody's running water. Yes. Um, someone, could you go, who's doing the dishes, could you press star six to mute your phone? You probably think that it is muted. Thank you. Elizabeth, these are excellent questions. Yeah, well, we're we're just we're expanding. You know, we're expanding the website and expanding our programs and doing all sorts of. We've created this. Well, well, I can ask another question if nobody else is piping in. Sure. Is we actually created uh, many many months ago, and Rebecca's seen it, a program called Money Camp at Home, and it was it's designed for the homeschool uh, market or any parent that wants to teach their kids about money. And it actually comes in two pieces, Dan. It comes in a a kid's workbook, which is way too fun, got all kinds of pictures and, and activities in it. And then it comes with a, another workbook that is the parents, the parents' guide to how to teach their kids. And we've had a question for months now about how to package it because right now it's a binder for the parents and then a bound, spiral-bound piece for the adults. And I'm trying to decide whether to spend the money and put it in one of those plastic cases or... Or what? Do you have any feedback there? Well, here's what you have to consider. Um, first of all, you have to take your manufacturing cost and you have to mark it up eight times. So if it costs you $1 to manufacture it, it has to sell for a minimum of $8. You've got to mark it up eight times or you will go out of business. Okay. All of this other stuff you're talking about adds to the cost. Now, here's the problem with the spiral binding. The spiral binding is more expensive. It has to be marked up, but it has a low perceived value. People think that anything with a spiral binding is cheap. Now, there are alternatives. Uh, do you want this book to open and lie flat? Yes. Yes. Uh, write this down. Okay. Autobind. O-T-A-B-I-N-D. O-T-A-B-I-N-D. B-I-N-D. Autobind. Okay. That will make it look like a soft cover book, but it will open and lie flat. You can go look that up online. Do a Google okay. search on Audubon. You'll see pictures. Also, um, I'm not going to ask you where you're having these printed, but I will tell you that if you deal with a book printer, you'll get much, much better prices. Okay. Now, there are 42 offset printers across the United States. There are 23 digital printers, and these are people who do nothing but books 24 hours a day. They buy their paper by the multi-car load. They're going to give you price. They're going to give you service, and they're going to give you quality. If you're dealing with a local printer, um, they print a little of everything. And, and any printer could print books, but you want to deal with a book printer because you have to keep your costs as low as possible since you have to mark that up eight times. Are you in a position to recommend? Yes, you want to deal with the lowest bidder. <laughs> Not that one. But what you're going to do is you make up a request for quotation. You're going to send it out to all the printers, and this is all available on my website, and then you're going to take the lowest bidder. The Dan, every, we were talking about, has... um, Elizabeth and Dan, we were talking about titles. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. um, I attended uh, Mark Victor Hansen's mega book, Marketing, a seminar before, and he talks about title testing. And the idea there, um, Dan, I'm sure you're familiar with this. I wanted your opinion on it. So you pick about, say, six titles that you like, and then you test them with people. And uh, Mark said that when you have a best-selling title, you'll find that 80% of your people are going to this one title, and that if they're spread out too evenly, that means that you don't have a good enough title and, and you need to go back to the drawing board and find some more. Would you agree with that? Do you do that? Oh, absolutely. Testing? Most of the books on the bestseller list 
have what I call aha titles. They just really grab you. They might have a nice ring to them, uh, or um, they just describe the book very well. The title is probably, what, 70 or 80% of your sales package. That's how important the title is. So, uh, Dan, for our next book for homeschool.com, we were going to release it um, online, like create an online course for it first, and then turn that into a book. Are there any um, disadvantages to doing that? Um, not necessarily. It's nice to put a book out there in electronic format and, and sort of test it out before you go to press with it. I was thinking that would be kind of nice to kind of test it out as we go along the way. Sure. I suppose, too, for um, some of the other businesses, if you can keep selling them as special reports or using them as special reports and then combine them to become uh, another book. And you can recycle them and turn, uh, then split them up and put them back into special reports. Um, for many people write articles for magazines, and then they assemble the articles and put them into a book, and they sell the book to the same people who read the magazine articles, and later on they pull pieces out of the book and turn them into special reports and put them up at their website and, again, sell them back to the same people. They're just recycling the information over and over again. Different forms. Dan, have you ever heard of the product funnel? And the idea is that um, you have different products to offer your audience, and a lot of times you um, you use a book uh, as like maybe your lower-priced item to kind of build your credibility and to build an audience, and then you offer them uh, more expensive products after that. I suppose I suppose like audio books and online courses. Do you well, uh, do you know about that, and do you um, uh, recommend that method? Certainly, you know, as Mark Victor Hansen says, your book is a lead generation device. It's often lower price. It sells in bookstores. It's twenty dollars or so um, for you. Um, you're making money on that, but it's almost considered a lost leader. That's that's what gives you the credibility and it brings your customers to you. That's what makes people go to your website. As you write your book, and once your book is finished, you realize that there are some things that you could have gone into in greater detail. Uh, there's additional information, and so you spin off reports. If you go to my website, you'll see that we have, I think it's 48 special reports that go into greater detail in various areas. And so the book is what brings people in. And then you want to concentrate on all of your other products and services that uh, can capitalize on that captured audience. How do busy people find time to write? Well, it's often nice if you could what, spend 24 hours a day on your book, but let's be practical. Most people can't do that. What you do is you break the project down into easy-to-attack bite-like chunks. Don't look at this book as being one big project. Focus on one chapter at a time. Take all the material that you have so far. Maybe you've written some articles. Maybe you've transcribed some speeches. Certainly you've collected a lot of information. You've torn pages out of magazines and so on. Put this stuff into pile, one pile for each chapter, and visualize what you have. Quantify the project. See what you have. See what you don't have. And then when you've got enough, it'll come to you. Boy, I better start writing this book. Pick up one of those piles, and don't start with the first chapter. You know, looking at your book from the very beginning, it looks like a long, uh, steep, steep hill. Pick up the chapter that is the shortest, easiest, or the most fun and concentrate on that one. Just focus on that one little subject. 
it's going to be a lot easier than approaching that whole book all at once. When I wrote our homeschooling book, Homeschooling for Success, I had one chapter a week. And so um, I would go and celebrate with the kids on the weekend. If I got my chapter done by Friday, then we would go and do something special on the weekend. Yep. And then one week you finished by Thursday night and you felt you were ahead of the game. <laughs> you know, I like the idea of starting with the uh, easiest chapter first. Well, you see, like your you first said, chapter... Otherwise it seems kind of intimidating. Yeah, and the first chapter tends to be an introduction to the rest of the book. And you don't even know where you're going because you haven't been there. As you write your book, you're also doing more research as you go along. And... This is why I always wind up doing my first chapter last. Of course, I know. I suppose you can do that for nonfiction. If it's a fiction book, I, I, you <laughs> well, can't do it that way. That would be a different challenge. <laughs> In fact, I noticed on, on my book I had to go back and rewrite my first chapter because by the time I had finished it, I was a much better writer than I was in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Which is nice. And then you really want that first chapter to be a you know powerful grabber. That's right. That's right. What subject should a person write on? Write what you know. I want you to think ahead two years. What do you want to be writing about? What do you want to be speaking about? What do you want to be thinking about? What do you want to be dreaming about? What's going to make you wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning so excited that you're just lying there in bed, your brain is spinning, your eyes are wide open, and you think, well, I'm not going to go back to sleep. I might as well get up. Um, you know that happens to me every morning? I woke up at 1 o'clock this morning, so excited about the various things that I'm working on, that I got up and I worked for a couple of hours. Oh. I couldn't sleep, so I just lie there with my eyes open. That's great. Um, just because you have a lot of experience in one area doesn't mean that's the book you should write unless you're still excited about it. If you're, let's say you're selling real estate and you could write a, the definitive book on some little niche in real estate, but you're sick and tired of real estate... Don't write a book on real estate because as soon as you do, people like you are going to call them up and say, can we interview you on real estate? And if it's not the subject that gets you excited, you shouldn't have written the book on it. Do you have any writing tips for us, Dan? Oh, let's see. Well, yeah, don't start with the first chapter. Um, write about what you're excited about. Write, write about <laughs> the subject. that you Turn your passion center into your profit center. Turn your avocation into your vocation. Let me tell you about the uh, best way to illustrate this. It was 1962 in San Francisco. It was June. I was taking finals in law school. A friend of mine said, hey, I know where we can go skydiving. Sounded like a good alternative. Well, I finished the exams, and I went out and I made one parachute jump. That was so exciting. I went back the next day, made three more. I went back the next weekend. I made three on Saturday and four on Sunday. I decided that I wanted to go into the parachute business. I didn't really want to be a lawyer. I love law school, and it was a great education. But I found out later on that, that parachute designers have more friends than lawyers. <laughs> and I took off, and I feel so fortunate, I feel so lucky that I was able to find my passion and then to pursue it. It sounds like you live your passion every day of your life. Every day. That's wonderful. Dan, let's open up a call. You can tell that the operator has um, helped us out with the noise issue. So thank you very much, operator. Let's see if Elizabeth might be there or someone else might have another question. Elizabeth, Hello. do you have any follow-up questions for Dan, or does anyone else? Want I also to have a question. Oh. Yes, please. Did, did she want to go first? No, go ahead. Oh, I, I just had, I had a comment, if you don't mind. Please Hello? Go ahead. 
Um, Dan, I just appreciate so much this talk. First of all, I'm Patty from New Jersey, and um, I you just totally uh, brought me back to the past of my life. I was at lunch one time at one of my first jobs, and I was 18, and a gentleman, and I, I just happened to have an open seat with him, and a gentleman said, um, what do you do in your spare time? I said, oh, read. I said, what do you do? He said, I skydive. Ah. I said, oh, I said, I want to try that. It was Wednesday, and he said, I'm doing it Saturday. Are you available? And I went. I did a parachute landing practice for the first week. Mm-hmm. It was in March, so the ice was, the, the ground was frozen. Sure. And then uh, we went up the next week, and I did it. I got in the plane with two other gentlemen, and I actually panicked at first, but then I realized um, this is a chance in a lifetime, and I better do it. Mm-hmm. I let go, and they had the speaker on me. And it was playing Fly Like an Eagle. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. But I came down and I landed. I landed rather hard, actually, but I didn't tell my family that I was doing it. Mm-hmm. And when I came home, my father, I told my father what I did, and he gave me his wings. He was in the 82nd Airborne. Oh, wow. And he handed me his wings, and it was one of the most exciting moments of my life, and I had it on my keychain ever since. Oh, that's... So anyway, I understand your excitement over parachuting. I never went back because my life went into a different direction, yeah, sure. but I haven't really told any of my friends, and I'm telling all the world now, <laughs> but it was one of the most exciting things in my life. Um, but to the writing, actually, I appreciate what you're saying, because I am one of those people that actually felt I've had a book in me for quite some time, but I didn't know what to do with it. I've mentioned it to my husband several times, and what I'm concerned about is um, the lack of confidence. Um, what do you recommend to someone who lacks confidence but deeply knows you have something to give, and then what if you get to that point where you do start writing and you come about, you, you have writer's block? Well, okay. Let's talk about the confidence first. The third draft of your book is what we call peer review. That's where we send a chapter off to at least four people. We send each chapter off to at least four people for their feedback. Now, there are people very highly placed in your association or industry, people that you've identified as being experts on that particular chapter. So... Probably 10% of the really good, detailed, up-to-date material is going to come from other people. Uh, Ken Blanchard, one-minute manager. Ken says, oh, I don't write my books. Uh, my friends write them for me. I gather a few notes together, send them to my friends. They write the book and send it back. Well, he's talking about peer review, and he's uh, simplifying and being overly generous. So uh, one way to overcome this hesitation, wondering if what you're doing is good stuff, is no, you do the best you can, and then you send it off to other people, and they're going to come back with uh, uh, corrections and additions and a lot of good material. What was the second part of your question? What about writer's block when you come up against writer's block? Oh, there's no such thing. As long as you no? have a road map, as long as you have an outline, as long as you know where you're okay. going. This is why we break the chapters down into easy-to-attack bite-like chunks. This is uh, where we gather all this material and string it out on our desk one chapter at a time. And then you can see from all these scraps of paper and these photocopies, exactly where you're going. And uh, we like to say that there's light at the end of the tunnel, and it's a very short tunnel. Let me comment on one other thing, because you just brought this to mind, because we're talking to parents here. I think you'll agree with me now that we want to urge young people to go out and try different things. Most people are growing up do the same things with the same people every weekend, And I encourage young people to go out and try different things uh, as often as possible. And hopefully, you'll find something that just grabs you, something that really bites, 
and you're going to be able to find a way to turn that into a business and make your life out of it. If I had not gone out and made that parachute jump, um, I'd probably be working as a lawyer someplace today, and I know I wouldn't be wouldn't be as happy as I am now. So please encourage young people to to go out and experience different things. And for younger kids, um, take them out on field trips. I know my father did that with me. Took took uh, us kids to the sugar factory, the the sewage treatment plant, um, all kinds of different places. Uh, once a month, we'd go on some kind of a field trip. Uh, you just ex- you want to expose young people to as many different things as possible, so that they can find something that they want to do for the rest of their lives. Dan, I have one more one more question. Hmm? This is Elizabeth again with the Money Camp. Yes. Um, I have been talking for a couple years about writing a book on allowances, and then all of a sudden, because I have a very specific way we teach the parents to do allowances, it's mm-hmm. just incredibly mm-hmm. unique. And then all of a sudden, I ran into a gentleman that had already written the book. So, is there some merit <laughs> to my rewriting it the way I wanted it, or is it okay that I just now promote his book and say, you know, I was going to write this is what I say I was going to write the book, but then somebody did. Well, I'll give you a couple of different ideas. Um, okay. if, if somebody else has done it, there's no reason for you to go out and just compete head-to-head with them okay. unless you can do it significantly different. Now, uh, you have another book, on the other hand. When you have two authors with books that are compatible, they don't, uh, that, that is, they have the same audience, one thing that we like to do is sell each other's book. Now, if they're anywhere near the same price, the best way to do that is to trade cartons of books. One of my books is um, very compatible with another in the field, and we trade four or five cartons of books at a time. So now uh, Rosalie is selling my book and her book, and I'm selling her book and my book. It gives us both an extra product, and the books, um, anybody who buys one probably needs both of them anyway. Great. That's a perfect answer. Thank you. I have a question. Yes. Um, I'm Haya, and I'm writing a fiction book. Okay. So I want to know, what, and what time do you start searching the publishing company and stuff? When do you start looking for a publishing company? Early searching, stuff like that. Well, uh, I would work on the book, just concentrate on that at first, and then you can decide how you want to publish it. There are... Um, when the, once the book is done, then I would go to a bookstore and I would look for other books that are as close to your kind of fiction as possible. I mean, there's a lot of different kinds of fiction. So, and I would contact those publishers and those agents because they have a track record with your particular kind of fiction. Or, or I suppose Kaya could self-publish too, right, Dan? Yes, and, and I would certainly recommend that with fiction because fiction is so much harder to sell. But you can just publish a few copies, and you can pass those around to uh, other people and put them up at your own website for sale, get them up at Amazon, and it's not very expensive to do that today. Um, you said that's lulu.com? Well, and yes, you could, you could, for example, you can get your book listed at Amazon, and then... Uh, if someone orders it, it can be manufactured one at a time by Lulu.com or one of the other POD uh, publishers or printers. And so you have no 
or little or no upfront costs. And those books are only made after somebody orders them. I mean, that's truly print-on-demand. And plus, at homeschool.com, I'd be happy to publish um, homeschoolers' books as well. Just sell them through homeschool.com. And that makes a lot of sense, you see, because you have access to the customers. You have your existing customer base, so you could move a lot more books on homeschooling uh, than a lot of people could do on their own. Yes, or even just to support support young uh, writers, too. Mm-hmm. That's a great idea, too. That's a great question. Um, good luck on your book. So um, it's four minutes to the hour now. Uh, any last questions, or should we give people a four-minute break before our next interview? Does anyone else have a last urgent question for Dan Pointer? Yeah, I have a question. Yes, please go ahead. Okay. My name is Rifki, and uh, I'm Chaya's mother. Um, I was wondering what you... Um, we're speaking about uh, her uh, getting the book um, maybe printed on homeschool.com and other suggestions. I was wondering, how important is it to obtain a copyright before you show people your book or put it online or things like that? We normally wait until the book is done, until the book is printed, and then we send the book in for copyright. All you have to do is fill out a two-page form and send a check for $30. It's not necessary to send the manuscript in for copywriting or for copyright registration and very very few people do that so uh, it's just normal to wait until the book is printed I'll wait till it's printed okay. okay thank you well thank you very much Dan for your time this morning we sure appreciate it you certainly are inspirational well I hope I've turned a few people on to a wonderful wonderful activity and a wonderful life We've been talking with Dan Pointer, who is author of the self-publishing manual. His website is parapub, www.parapub.com. Lots of great information on that site. I also really recommend his book. I found it very helpful because you can look it over for an overview and then treat it like a recipe and kind of check off things as you go. So, Dan, any last uh, words of advice before we take a, a break before our next guest? Um, well, I could just end with, uh, I don't want you to die with a book still inside you. And I never said that writing your book would be easy, but I do promise it'll be worth it. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Dan. Thank you. Uh, coming up next, we're going to be speaking with Donna Lynn Yates, talking about a Memory Joggers, Memory Tips for Math. So we're going to take a break for two minutes. This is your chance to run and get a bite or a drink of water. And we've solved all the uh, noise issues now. And, Dan, thank you very much for your patience with that. And we sure appreciate speaking with you. Great. Thanks a lot. Thank you. We hope you have enjoyed this special presentation from homeschool.com. For a copy of this program or any homeschool.com program, visit our website at www.homeschool.com. At homeschool.com, you'll find the information, resources, and support you need to make your homeschooling better than ever.